All right, welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. Uh, Walter, we're going to be detonating a Twitter files in the middle of the show today. Is that okay? Oh, my Lord. I love it. Yes. Let's, that's the way it should always be. <laughs> it, should be <laughs> it should be fun. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is a weird one. Um, arouse strong feelings in both of us, actually. Uh, the, the genesis of it was that um, I was in San Francisco last week. And was looking for something else and found um, this pretty intense discussion that was going on between Twitter employees about this deluge of news stories that they were getting about Russian bots. And all of these stories were being traced back to the same source, this this thing called Hamilton 68, which is a think tank um, that's like got a whole pile of other think tanks on top of it. It's the German Marshall Fund sponsoring the Alliance for Securing Democracy, which has all these CIA intelligence vets on it, which sponsored Hamilton 68, which purported to track Russian influence online. And they had a secret list of 600 accounts they said were linked to Russian influence. And they never released it. And the reason they never released it is because um, they said, they said the Russians would shut down those accounts right away. Um, so they made it sound like they were, Russians were directly controlling these accounts. Um, but Twitter was so upset, they reverse engineered the list. They they were in a unique position to do it because they had the data requests. And so the list is sitting there in the files. Uh, and I looked at it and it's, as Twitter found out, it's just a whole bunch of ordinary people and media figures. Like randomly, it's got David Horowitz in there, consortium editor Joe Loria. Uh, there's a Newsmax guy named Dennis Michael Lynch. I mean, um, I mean, you've seen some of the stuff that that's in there. Like, I, I I called some of these people. I called a lot of these people, and they never knew that they were part of this this thing that created all these news stories. They never knew they were targets for this research organization. Right, right. The, the, basically, what Hamilton 68 did is they, they identified, in truth, it was 644 accounts. Mm-hmm. They collected them all in a pile. There was a thin veneer of actual Russian accounts on top. These were like RT America, RT Kremlin. Right, and no, known, that, known Russian media, not disguised Russian media. Known Russian media, mm-hmm. right? Then under that, there's this gigantic morass of actual accounts. Uh, some of them are well-known media figures. A lot of them were kind of low-traffic Trump supporters with uh, handles like "classy girl for DJT." Um, you know stuff like that uh or you know maga dog lady um and and what they did is they basically watched all this organic conversation taking place among trump supporters mostly Mm -hmm. there were some lefties in there and that's important to note but then they just described it as oh russian bots are boosting this today so in other words, if there was a whole bunch of activity around a certain hashtag by these accounts, right. you would see a headline in the New York Times or the Washington Post or 
MSNBC or CNN or any of a dozen other major news organizations. Um, you know, Russian bots are, here's what Russian bots are boosting today. Here's what they're promoting today. And there were dozens of topics, everything from the Parkland shooting to uh, Donald Trump's campaign to Tulsi Gabbard's campaign to uh, the some controversy involving Laura Ingram to uh, the Blexit affair. Do you remember that when they were allegedly a campaign to peel black voters away from Democratic Party? Um, so, so topics, it, topics it just that you faked it. Topics that you and I might discuss on this show, or that people might discuss over coffee or over Twitter, uh, ranging from political to cultural topics, were branded the result of Russian bot activity and then reported on in what you say are hundreds of stories across the mainstream press as though they were, in fact, the products of a Russian operation. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened. I mean, there, there, are, there are hundreds of these stories. There's, there's, there are even more television segments. The, the leading figures involved, like the, the sort of front man, this uh, thing was a former FBI counterintelligence official or agent named Clint Watts. He's still an MSNBC analyst. So anytime anything happened, they would summon this dashboard, which was really just a bunch of mostly real people talking. Uh, And then you say mostly, you say mostly, but overwhelmingly. Uh, by by eighty ninety percent, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think on the on the outside, like at, at the most extreme, I haven't analyzed the whole list yet, and I'm, I haven't gotten in touch with everybody. Uh, it looks like maybe the number of you know what they what they called like um, almost dead accounts, accounts that maybe seemed automated, could could run upwards of 20% maybe mm-hmm. like they had mm-hmm. been tagged for some reason or another right as bots um or not as bots but as as problematic accounts mm-hmm. but one after another on the list it's right. real people who are confirmed who have jobs and you know who, who can be looked up there's a lawyer in Chicago who writes about constitutional law there's a a refugee from the Lebanese civil war in Canada who I talk to like you know it, it's just ordinary people so they would mm-hmm. just they would throw a veil on these ordin- these conversations, and then they would go to the New York Times or they would go to uh, the Washington Post, which did like a half a dozen stories. The Post is really really guilty in this one, and they would say, you know, look what Russian bots are up to now, and uh, you know these got these people testified in Congress repeatedly. Um, when they it, said it was, Harvard invited them in, I mean, it's amazing. Harvard invited in Hamilton '68. Yeah, they had they, they had they had Watson. He spoke at the Kennedy School about the nefarious Russian influence. Um, is there any and, and possible? Of, is there any possible way they might have been aware of the fraud, unaware of the fraudulence of their method? I can't see it. The only the only thing, and by the way, I repeatedly asked them. I said. I, I sent letters to them over and over again. I hassled them online, um, on Twitter. 
if there's a if there's an explanation for why you have a whole bunch of real American real and mostly American accounts um and you're describing them as Russian bots, I want to hear it. And they decline to answer. There if you look at the list, there's really no way you can conclude that this is this is some kind of collection of uh Agents Russian of influence. influence bots. Yeah, mm-hmm. agents of influence. I mean, the, the the premise that Russia would be able to shut these accounts down um, if they were outed is ridiculous. Once you start talking to the people involved, right? Like these are ordinary people. They've got they got jobs. They got media careers. A lot of them. I mean, it's it's crazy. So so the identities of these non bots, these accused and targeted accounts. Were were they known to the media outlets that were that were making up these stories about Russian influence? In other words, were these people's lives affected by their inclusion in this secret list? No, uh, and that's both good and bad, right? Uh, on the upside, these people were never publicly identified as Russian bots. Mm-hmm. On the downside, you have to think about what this says about fact-checking at all of the major news organizations in the country. Because, you know, I, I have a collage that's like, you know, 50 headlines wide of, of these of stories from this uh, organization. Basically, none of them um, asked the question or we're dissatisfied with the answer we can't tell you who's on the list right another in, in other words hamilton 65 hamilton 68 declined to disclose who was on the list you can see in the twitter record that the the comms people are saying when we try to talk to the reporters it's like shouting into a void they're chafing at being told that these aren't russian bots um so it, it it's just reporters wanted to believe it so they ran it you're, mean, uh, are, you're saying that Twitter at times attempted to, to discredit this organization, but failed because the news media refused to uh, consider counter evidence. Right. So, so there's there's two things. First, first of all, there was a big contingent within Twitter that wanted to out this scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel Roth, who's been again, who, who's been made a villain largely because of his role in the in the uh, Hunter Biden story, mm-hmm. um, he said he wanted to do give uh, issue an ultimatum: um, either you release the list or we will. There's another person uh, who says, "Why can't we just say we've investigated and citing Hamilton 68 as being wrong, irresponsible, and biased?" But then. The people who are connected, there's this future White White House spokeswoman, Emily Horn. She says, we have to be careful about how we do this. Then Carlos Magne, who's the future senior advisor to Pete Buttigieg, he says, I- I've also been frustrated, but I- we have- we're playing a longer game here. So wait, they wait ended up not. Wait, wait a second. Let's stop there. Mm-hmm. This This advisor to Buttigieg. Was mm-hmm. not employed by Hamilton sixty eight. No, he was employed by Twitter. He was employed by Twitter, yep. and and so he was made aware that there was this false 
engine of misinformation that was using Twitter accounts as evidence for its, uh, you know, contention that Russia was, you know, manipulating American news. And he specifically asked that they don't uh, reveal this because of a longer game, quote unquote. Yeah, here's the quote. I also have been very frustrated in not calling out Hamilton 68 more publicly, but understand we have to play a longer game here. And what this what, is what, after- what what do you think that meant? What's what longer game? Well, because the uh, Hamilton 68 is connected with this thing called the Alliance for Securing Democracy, which is has a lot of very pow- powerful people on its board. It's everyone from John Podesta to to Michael McFaul, to the former acting head of the CIA, Michael Morell, uh, to a former deputy director of the NSA, to Michael Chertoff, the former head of the uh, Homeland Security Department, um, and the senators. And Bill, Bill uh, Crystal, correct? Bill Crystal's on there too. Yep, absolutely. So, so yeah. you have, to some extent, Democrats and Republicans on this, mm-hmm. uh, the, in this group. Yep. In fact, the two founders were one of each. So, so Jamie Fly is a former Rubio guy, and then Laura Rosenberger is a former Hillary for America foreign policy person. They they were okay. the technical founders, right? But they knew they knew that they were doing something wrong. Like Twitter knew this was wrong, and and Twitter knew that, that it was wrong, and that they were potentially implicated in it. And Roth wrote, "Real people need to know they've been unilaterally labeled Russian stooges." without evidence or recourse. Uh, mm-hmm. So they they were really struggling with this idea of what do we do? And they ended up not saying anything because they were afraid of spoiling their relationships. That word comes up a lot. And then their relationships later with on, whom? their relationships with, with whom? the Democratic Party, with people in the, in the Senate Intelligence Committee who were, who were very high on, on Hamilton 68, mm-hmm. you know, these people testified before the Intel committee early in 2017. So they were trying to preserve relationships, I guess. There's a little bit of an unknown about what's going on there. But in, mm-hmm. in the end, you see uh, the communications of, uh, officials all saying things like, we're trying off the record to push back. Um, but here's a quote. Reporters are chafing, said one. Another one says, it's like shouting into a void. Uh, so in other words, they're telling these reporters, there are no Russian bots in these accounts, and reporters are just doing the stories anyway. Um, but that's partly on Twitter, because they, they could have said this on the record, but they didn't. So. Yeah, it's partly on Twitter, but Twitter's job is not the job that New York Times or MSNBC purport to do, which is to tell us, uh, to give us accurate news. And they, so it was not just a sin of omission after they were warned. It was a sin of commission. We've been told by Twitter, which holds the, the key evidence in this case as to the credibility of Hamilton 68, that they are not credible and we don't want to hear it. We want to keep doing these stories. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's clearly what's going on. Um. There were a handful of people at the time, like um, 
there were a couple of reporters at BuzzFeed, Charlie Wurzel and Miriam Elder, mm-hmm. who were like, "Hey, this is a little this is a little suspicious." Uh, Glenn Greenwald wrote about how this didn't smell right. I wrote about it. Max Blumenthal wrote about it. Um, but other than that, nobody nobody demanded the list. Um, and as a result, too good to check. Wait, it's too good to check, and I just can't stress how many different news stories were created as a result of this. I mean, it's hundreds, if not thousands, of news stories, and they were, they were about all these topics, everything from smearing Tulsi Gabbard as an agent of Russian influence. Remember that whole oh, thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, I um, totally remember it. To the, to the, you know, hullabaloo over the Fire McMaster hashtag, uh, to... The idea that Russians were trying to sow divisions after the Parkland shooting. Like the New mm-hmm. York Times did that story. Like, mm-hmm. After Florida school shooting, Russian bots pounced. Uh, all this was sourced <laughs> to Hamilton 68. There were hundreds of these stories. There were like, you know, a couple a week for a period of about a year and a half, two years. And it was all fake, you know, uh, which... Which says something I think is pretty striking about how how um, little curiosity or pride there is at these organizations. Like, who wants to get fooled like this? You know, you well, want to be wearing. I, an- I mean, from your reporting, Matt, they want to be fooled because right. they were being told at certain points that they were being fooled and didn't care to hear about it. They had the ability to look into the credibility of these companies and, and, and examine the evidence. They didn't take it. Um, and not only did, see, the thing that bothers me most about this, I think, and, and I'll get into that a- as we go on, because the implications of this particular Twitter files trouble me maybe more than any other. But, but, but first, it, it seems to me that in an age of cost cutting and sort of lower ad revenue and so on in newspapers, they found a kind of magic lamp here. They could write controversial stories about Russian interference and link them to almost any other topic in the news from the parkland shooting to an election to, you know, an international event and generate non-reported stories that looked like insider intriguing information and then not check them. So they saved money on the reporting. They saved money on the fact checking. And they got the kind of stories that reporters used to have to, you know, have all kinds of inside sources and face all sorts of challenges in assembling, but they got them ready-made, just delivered to their doorstep. Right. And And then, and then, and then when they heard it was too good to be true, they didn't want to hear it. Right. Um, in, in fact, you know, so so in some ways it speaks to not just the incuriosity or even the laziness, but to their need for a new sort of news product that doesn't require time to dig, doesn't require time to uh, confirm, but has all the properties of a scoop or a you know, uh, a muckraking, um, 
exercise. You know, investigative right. story. Yeah. Exercise. Yeah. Right. That, that's exactly right. You know, and having done this job, there were a couple of these headlines that stood out to me as, as, as being tells like poker tells. And there was a story by mm-hmm. Kevin drum, uh, who's a smart guy. I've met him. Right. Um, He's writing for Mother Jones, which, by the way, did Mother Jones did at least 14 stories pegged to Hamilton 68. Uh, most were by another reporter, but they did a ton of them. But he does one uh, on October 31st, 2017. And the headline is, here's what Russian trolls are promoting today. <laughs> you know, in other words, I don't have anything else to write about, so... Why don't I just do this? I'll, I'll just go over to the Hamilton 68 dashboard and I'll see, you know, what, what comes out of the, the magic bullshit machine. And I'll, and I'll add a couple of paragraphs to that and my day's done, you know? Um, so you, so, so, so was, was Hamilton 68's dashboard uh, uh, open to the public or just to news organizations? It's open to the public, but the, the, and they say that they're, they claim there's a methodology there, but they don't tell you mm-hmm. what the data is. They they don't they don't tell you what they're basing it on. So, and there was only one one group in the world that had the ability to crack what it was that they were doing, and that was Twitter because Twitter was receiving what they call the API requests, like the requests for data about certain accounts. So they were able to reverse engineer. The accounts, they did this big forensic analysis. They found that 86% of them were English language, that only about 5% of them um, originated in Russia, uh, so on and so on. But was Twitter, was, Twitter, was Twitter providing this service for free to Hamilton 68? The, the, were, the data, the API? Yeah, yes. Well, I don't know how that works exactly, the getting, getting the API keys. That's, that's actually an interesting question. I, I don't know that. But I can't just I I can't just call up Twitter and get all this information and data, can I? I don't I don't think so. You you might be able you might be able to if you have a certain kind of relationship with them. I'm not sure how that works. It works exactly. Okay. okay. Um. But anyway. but they but they certainly did a, a bunch of requests about mm-hmm. about all of these accounts. Probably what they did is they just said, "Tell us about these accounts that have been retweeting." these things or have been forwarding these tweets and mm-hmm. through that method they ended up with a group of accounts that you know were probably generally either interested in in supporting trump or critical of the democratic party in some other way like the guy from consortium mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and then they just kind of threw a cloak over it and said these are Russian influenced accounts, uh, and I mean it's brilliant, right? It's it's a it's a pig in the poke scam. Um, so 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 in 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 discussing this with me uh, before the show, and and I think this might come out on the Twitter files, the thread that you uh, produce, you compared it to frauds in the past, uh, to um, Jason. counterfeit stories from. People like Jason Blair at the New York Times, mm-hmm. um, and and let's talk for a moment about how how these instances of fraud were treated in the past, so that we 
can understand how they react to these disclosures now. In the past, what happened with Jason Blair and what did he do and what was his fate? So Jason Blair had a whole, he had a whole um, series of personal problems. He had drug problems uh, and he got in the habit, I guess. I think it started off as these things often do, um, you know, as he wasn't able to be in a place he was supposed to be. So he filed from someplace, uh, you know, he, he wrote a byline, um, you know, that said he was in one place when he was actually in the, you know, in New York. Um, but, uh, you know, there, it took a while for them to take action. There were a variety of reasons for that. Um, but they ended up doing an internal, um, investigation. He went into a hospital for treatment. Uh, he published a book that I think did pretty well. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, but it was a huge blow to the times. And I, I also know about another similar one, which was, he the, was fired, correct? He was fired. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. well he resigned technically, but I mean, he, he like was right. resigned. Right. Um, right. Right. And the same thing happened with Stephen glass. Uh, it was, it was less at violent at, at rolling at rolling stone, the new Republic one. You know, the, the story about the UVA case. No, like in, in that case, we brought in an outside um, a series of investigators to, to, to do an audit of what happened, right? Um, which is typically right. what you do when, when you publish a fake story because when something fake gets into the pages of a real news organization, that, that usually means there has to have been a systematic breakdown at a pretty high level because it, right. it has to have made its way through several different places uh, before it gets into print. But these stories, you know, again, you have all of these stories that are asserting Russian bots are doing this, Russian bots are doing that, and it's all based on really one thing, the, 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 the credentials of the people saying it, um, which is right. the same thing that happened but, with but, the steel but, dossier. So. But, ju- but just to complete my point here, you've given instances of certain writers who filed a, a small number, relatively, of false stories, which then caused paroxysms of conscience in the... Uh, organizations, the Times, Rolling Stone, etc., that resulted in the expulsion of the reporters in some kind of apology or some kind of owning up. Editors lost their jobs. Editors lost their jobs. I, I, I was friends with, uh, you know, people at Rolling Stone, people at the top of Rolling Stone during the UVA. I had some insight into how that played out. I can tell you that on a personal level, the editors who were affected by it were devastated, shocked, um, and for some, it was a career-ending uh, event, a career and life-ending, not life-ending, but life-changing event. But here we have a case in which hundreds of stories generated by a kind of perpetual motion machine of fraud made it into various organizations supposedly as conscientious as Rolling Stone, and nothing so far has happened. 
but you've given these places a chance to see your story, or at least to understand your story. You've called them up, made them aware. What has been their response? Nothing. The only the only person, the only organization that I even heard back from was the Washington Post, and they just wrote me back to tell me they wouldn't be commenting. Um, so, you know, I wrote I wrote to MSNBC. Uh, I wrote them a pretty intense letter, you know, and listed all the segments that they had done. I, I pointed out that they still have the Hamilton 68 person um, in their employ as an analyst. Mm-hmm. Clint Watts is an analyst at MSNBC, right? And mm-hmm. I, I, I've, I offered to media writers of stature all over the business, you want to see the list? You want to see all these this internal communication at Twitter? You want to see what was behind all these stories? I am happy to provide it to you. Nothing. You mean you you went to media writers who who are ostensibly watchdogs of the media, who who do stories about uh, you know media triumphs and media failures and malfeasance and the methods and so on. Reporters for whom the media is their beat, and you brought them this information, and they were not interested. Not yet. They're, I don't want to out them yet because I still have hope for a couple of them. Um, mm-hmm. A few of them have been good on stories that had mm-hmm. to have been difficult for them to do because it implicated their own newspapers. Uh, mm-hmm. But just to take, for example, you know, what do you do if you're the media writer for the New York Times, you know, and the New York Times does a story like after Florida shootings about army pounds. If you're hearing this message, you're listening to the free version of America This Week. To hear the rest of our conversation, please subscribe at taibi.substack.com.